from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our first scripture lesson this morning is Isaiah 65, verses 1 through 9, and that can be found on page 653 in the Old Testament section of your pew Bibles. Listen now for the word of God for you and for me. I was ready to be sought out by those who did not ask, to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that did not call on my name. I held out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in the way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and offering incense on bricks, whose tombs sit inside tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat swine's flesh with broth of abominable things in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day long. See, it is written before me, I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will indeed repay into the laps their inequities and their ancestors' inequities together, says the Lord. Because they offered incense on the mountains and reviled me in the hills, I will measure into their laps a full payment for their actions. And thus says the Lord, as the wine is found in the cluster and they say, do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it, so will I for, the, for my servant's sake and not destroy them all. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, inheritors of my mountains. My chosen shall inherit it, and my servants shall settle there. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament lesson, which is also from the lectionary for today, comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Here again, God's word. Then they, this they is Jesus and some of the disciples. Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. If you've been to that part of the world, the Sea of Galilee. As Jesus stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time, he had worn no clothes and he did not live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? He said, legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. 
Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swineherd saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with Jesus, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please be seated. And let us pray. God, through these old and sometimes perplexing stories and prophetic words, speak to us a new message today. Call us back and equip us to serve, to see, and to love all of your children. Amen. This week, we continue in our series of sermons asking how God's word cuts through the noise of our time to call us back to God. Last week, we heard the voice of woman wisdom in Proverbs 8, calling anyone who could hear her to turn away from foolishness and to choose prudence, honesty, discretion, and community over all the tempting powers the world offers. Today, we hear God calling through the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Jesus Christ, who shows us a new model of community. So first, a word about prophets and prophecy in general. Prophets aren't trying to draw attention to themselves or to win people over. When they speak, they're not just sharing their thoughts and opinions. They're bringing God's word to God's people. But the thing is that the word they bring is often hard for us to hear because it calls us out for the choices we're making and it calls us to change. And prophets don't sugarcoat their message. They tell us just what will happen to us if we don't change. So throughout scripture, prophets are rejected. People don't like to hear that they're in the wrong, that they need, that they need to change. They would rather scorn the prophet. They're often even run out of town, just as Jesus was in the story I just read from Luke. Prophecy usually comes at a critical moment, sometimes at a crisis point for God's people, usually when they have turned away from God. Some examples. When God's people are in exile and they've lost faith in God's deliverance when they seek their own comfort at the expense of someone else, when they fail to worship or to put God at the center of their lives and they give power to idols, when they forget God's commandments and mix up the practices of their culture with the practices of faith. And then very often, when God's people complain that God isn't fair, these sound like all things that are rooted in the Old Testament, and they are, but they're also all true of us today. We lose sight of God. We give power to all kinds of things, big and small. We only have to look honestly at how we spend our time and money to know what has a hold over us that isn't God. We don't keep worship at our center all the time. We worship when it fits in with our plans rather than fitting our plans around our worship. Not you all, you're the ones who are here. <laughs> Just kidding. We mix up the values of our own faith and the values of our culture until they're not easily distinguished from each other. And all the time, when things aren't the way we want them, we complain. Prophets cut through all that noise. Sometimes they speak words of judgment when God's people are wrong. 
They always remind us that our relationship with God is a covenant. It is a two-way relationship, and we're not just here to consume God's blessings. Prophets also bring words of hope, reassuring us that God hasn't forgotten, even if we have turned away from God. And they call us to change, inviting us to envision a way of life that is different if we but turn back to God. Just before our reading from Isaiah today that Kate read a moment ago, the people of God have been complaining, particularly about God's silence. In fact, they go so far as to claim that they have been sinning because God was not around. That's a pretty bold claim if you're going to make an excuse. They say, because you, God, hid yourself, we transgressed. But Isaiah speaks God's voice to them and says, no, I was ready to be sought out, but you did not ask. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. God said, here I am, here I am, but the nation did not call on God's name. God says, I held out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, who follow their own devices. Through the prophet, we hear that God was there all along, reaching out, holding out God's hands to a people who didn't call, who didn't seek God's guidance, who did whatever they wanted. It's almost painful to picture God reaching out, calling out to a people who do not reach back. The people are doing all sorts of other things. They're making sacrifices. They're hanging out in tombs. More on that in a minute. They're eating things that are unclean. And they've incorporated into their lives some pagan rituals of worship. They're in the wrong, and they don't want to hear that from the prophet. They would prefer, like us, to keep following their own devices. We don't like to hear when we are in the wrong either or to abandon our own way. Now contrast that with the way that Jesus Christ works in the Luke text as a prophet today. We don't always think of Christ as a prophet or maybe that's not our first way of identifying him, but he also came to point us to God, to reach out to us, to call us to change and he also was rejected for it. In our gospel reading, we see Jesus run out of town because he disrupts the local way of doing things. Now this scene from Luke's gospel comes just after Jesus and his disciples have crossed the Sea of Galilee. And if you remember that story, while they were in the boat, a storm blew up and water was coming into the boat and the disciples are terrified and Jesus is asleep. So they wake him up in a rush, and he stands and proceeds to stop the wind and calm the water. Now, after all of the years of these holy texts being read in community, we're used to the idea that Jesus had divine power. We're not surprised to hear that he could calm a storm or feed 5,000 or even raise the dead. But for the disciples, even those people who had chosen to follow Jesus, they struggled to make sense of this power. 
Even after the storm is calm, they're still afraid. And they're looking around at each other saying, who is this that even the wind and the water obey him? In my mind, I imagine them thinking, what have we done? We've left our lives and our livelihoods to follow this person. What does this kind of power mean for our lives? Their fear and confusion is still in the air when they come ashore. And the first thing that happens as Jesus steps out of the boat is that a man comes to meet them. Luke describes him as a man with demons. He's possessed. He's powerless to fight off the forces that are tormenting him. He's cut off from all other people, completely removed from humanity. He no longer even wears clothes. He's naked and exposed and vulnerable. He's been driven out of any kind of home and is dwelling in the tombs with the dead bodies. He has no contact. He has no care. He's been guarded and bound up in chains and shackles. Maybe because the community thought that would keep them safe. Maybe because they thought it would keep the spirits from leading him to harm himself. But this man is unwell and he's unwelcome, hovering somewhere between life and death. If you noticed, there are tombs in both of our texts this morning. I imagine that's partly why they appear in the lectionary together. But there are different things here. In Isaiah, the people are choosing to hang out in the tombs for some kind of pagan ritual they've incorporated into their lives from the culture around them. And God calls them out of the tombs, telling them to reject worship that isn't God. In Luke, we meet a poor soul who has not chosen the tombs but has been banished there, ostracized by his community, and left alone as if he were already dead. Jesus calls him out too, but not to punish, to heal, and to welcome. In fact, when Jesus sees this man, the very first thing he does is command the unclean spirits to leave him. The man hasn't even spoken yet, he hasn't asked to be healed, and yet Jesus reacts to him by relieving his pain. And the second thing Jesus does is to ask his name. This shell of a person who has been stripped of all humanity and dignity is given the chance to share his name. Now, there are a number of stories in our scriptures where Jesus and even some others, we read one a few weeks ago from Acts, including Paul and Silas, cast out demons, or they remove unclean spirits from people. This is a little hard for us to understand, I think, because in our tradition, we don't use the language of demons and spirits now, thankfully. But as we read this story today, we should be thinking about everyone in our world and our families in this room who are cut off from community. In the first century, in the context of this story, no one had identified mental illness. And even today, it is often misunderstood and stigmatized when there are forces that have power over our minds and bodies. 
But this story invites us into the experience of a person who's suffering, of a person who's been stripped of his humanity. Some of us have known that experience of being powerless to break free from something that holds us. It can come in a lot of forms. Perhaps it is mental illness, which itself has a lot of forms. Perhaps it is grief, a past experience, trauma, addiction, or something else. Perhaps we aren't living naked in the wild, but we know what it feels like to be unwell and to be unwelcome. So as strange as demon possession might sound to us, this is really the story of anyone who dwells in dark places or who has been driven away from home by fear. The tomb we dwell in might actually be a dark place, like an underpass or a bridge or a loading dock after business hours, or it might be a jail or a prison or a facility where people are so easily forgotten. Our tombs might be our own homes, where we hide, where we might draw all the blinds so that people won't see who we really are and we don't have to risk rejection. Our tombs might not be places at all. They might be messages that we hear over and over again that say that we are not loved and that our lives do not matter. Jesus' words speak through that noise, break through it with light. Jesus calls us out of those tombs to be welcomed just as he saw that tormented man asked his name and showed him that his life mattered. And yet, in this story, even in the face of divine authority, the demons put up a fight. They tell Jesus that they're legion, meaning many, and they're strong, and they don't want to release their hold, so they beg Jesus not to banish them. They seem to think they can stay alive if they can just go into the pigs on a nearby hill. Jesus lets them go there, but the pigs run off a cliff into the water, and the torment is drowned with them. Now that's a lot to take in. As I hear this story, my mind goes to a lot of different places, and I start thinking, what is a legion of demons? And what about the poor pigs? Is anyone else worried about the pigs? Luke's words have some layers of meaning that aren't obvious here in our context. For example, Gerasene is a Gentile place, and under Jewish law, pigs were unclean animals. You heard that reference in Isaiah as well, that the people are adopting pagan practices, including eating unclean things. And legion is a word with an extra layer of meaning here, because a legion of the Roman army was 6,000 soldiers. So this story is about an encounter with a marginalized and suffering person, but it also calls to mind the experience of being powerless under an occupying force, like an empire. Jesus is speaking into all of those complexities to disrupt this community's way of thinking and to show them something new, specifically by welcoming a person they had shut out. 
The Gerasenes see that the man that had been chained up and was naked and near death and tormented is now clothed and sitting at Jesus' feet and in his right mind. And like the disciples who saw Jesus calm the storm, these people are afraid. They're afraid of this person who has power over spirits they weren't able to control. They're afraid of what it means that Jesus has welcomed this man that they removed from their community to avoid all that unpleasantness. Like the Israelites who preferred their own devices, the Gerasenes choose their own ways as well over the radical welcome Jesus has just modeled for them. So like the prophets before him, Jesus is asked to leave. Only the man who was freed from his torment is ready to follow Jesus that day, and he does go out to tell the world what God has done for him. The others are not, and Jesus leaves. Now, these are two really different witnesses of prophetic words speaking into our time today with layers of meaning, but I think we have some things to hear from them. The first is the simple reminder that prophets still speak to us. Isaiah still calls us to put aside our own ways and to choose instead a life as God's covenant people. Our Lord and prophet Jesus Christ still calls us to a new kind of community where no one values order or the avoidance of unpleasantness over the well-being of a person, where no one is left to dwell in the tombs alone. Christ's witness to us is that no one's suffering is out of his sight and that we are called to attend to the suffering of others as well. For those this morning who are dwelling in tombs of all different kinds, and for those of us who are trying to break through the darkness to loved ones who are dwelling in tombs, the good news today may be this. Our Lord was not contained by a tomb, but conquered suffering forever. And our Lord's healing power and welcome are greater than anything that binds us to. Thanks be to God. Amen.